All right, guys, it's good to see you all. Back, happy new year. Uh, I hope it was a good time for you guys. We, I have to say, Rose and I had a great time. We were in Lanzarote, Spanish island off the coast of Morocco. Yeah, rub it in. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Uh, it's been great, and now we came back, and Stefanie and our dear friends from Switzerland, are here. So I have to say it's really a good start of the year. And it is, as well, like a special year for us, like for Rose and I, because I've closed my chapter in Switzerland for work, and I'm settled here. Yes. So thank you for praying, everyone. So it is, I'd say, a, a unique time. Time for us. It's a good uh, time for us. So New Year is often right uh, a time where we hear that we want to start something or a time of reflection, new beginnings, uh, things we want to accomplish, and that's why, as um, I think Florence mentioned, we're starting a, a series called uh, Start, uh, where we want to just uh, spin over several weeks of sermons where we'll just encourage each other um, to start the year really well and how to position ourselves to be open and available to, to God and what He has in store uh, for us. So one very cool thing that we did, I'm not trying to rub it in, <laughs> was surfing. It was the first time for me that Rose had done it and it was a really fantastic experience. Uh, one thing that the instructor kept on telling us is to look up. Right? So when you're on your board, you get up, your feet. You know, you have a tendency to look at your feet to place them. But the instructor said, okay, look up, you know, to keep your balance and equilibrium. Right? And something which is counterintuitive, at least for me, because you want to look at your feet to be sure you're placed right on the board. But actually, no, you have to look up. Right? And that's something as we're thinking about starting this year, which is a bit counterintuitive as well, because... We often think of, okay, what do I want to accomplish this year? What do I want to do differently uh, this year? But what we want to encourage each other uh, during this beginning of the year is to look up to God. Right? First, make Him the priority. Right? Make Him the priority of our lives, of our attention, of our gaze. And it's interesting because there's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 25, 15, where it says, Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord, because He will pluck my feet out of the net. And he will release my feet from the net. But again, it's this counterintuitive thing, right? Because we want to look at our feet. We want to you know, really focus. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on the issue at hand, right? because we feel like we can have control uh, over it. But David here encourages us, you know, look up to God, and He will make your path straight. So as we've been looking at the Sermon of the Mount, uh, seek first the kingdom. Uh, seek first the king. Um, around eight years ago, <coughs> believe it or not, I was very much into bodybuilding. What happened? That's good. I know. <laughs> so, serious. You know, like, uh, I used to eat seven, eight times a day, six thousand calories. Uh, <laughs> no. Exercising six times a w uh, six times a week, six days a week. Uh, it was um, quite serious. And there was this one guy I was really a big fan of. I remember 
don't remember his name, but he was really like, he had an extra, uh, approach was extreme about bodybuilding, about lifting heavy weights and squatting heavy every day, right? So he was, he definitely attracted my attention. He caught my attention and I, I followed him, his videos and how to get there, what to do. So it's really like, yeah, Kelly, but it's, it's like a, <laughs> He definitely kept it by like his strength, his perseverance, his resilience. And as we're thinking, and I was thinking about like why to look to Jesus, you know, why put him as a priority in our lives. Thought about it's because he is worthy. He is worth all our attention. He is worthy of all our praises. That's beautiful. Paul says, for example, in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Right? For Paul, nothing compared to the value of knowing Jesus. First Peter as well says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? The excellency of God. Right? Jesus is the most beautiful, majestic person that has ever existed and will ever live and ex lives today. And he is called many things in the scriptures. We can see start. And Isaiah says he's the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, right? the wonderful, everlasting father. In the gospels we hear him, he's the friend of sinners. Right? In Revelation, he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And a beautiful thing, it said he is the lion of Judah, at the same time he is the lamb of God. Right? So many beautiful names of Jesus. He can meet really the desires of every human heart, the need of every human heart. And it, it's beautiful in Revelation how John describes him as he is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. Had such different characteristics, right? such excellent but very different that come together in Jesus in such an admirable way. And the way that actually comes together in no other person in history and can come together in no other person. Right? Let's think about this. For example, he is infinitely glorious, but he is infinitely humble at the same time. He is infinitely majestic, but he has such a transcendent meekness about him. Right? He, as God, when he was on earth, he had absolute sovereignty over everything, but he chose perfect resignation to the Father. Right? He, when he was on earth, he was worthy of such good treatment but had showed great patience when he was under the sufferings caused by evil people. And it's worth, let's take some examples just to flesh this out. When Jesus was on earth, he had power over the wind and the waves, and he had power over nature. Right? He healed the sick, he rose people from the dead, and he resurrected from the dead. But at the same time, he washed his disciples' feet. 
and, and some Jews insisted that that task was reserved for the lowliest of servants, not even for Jewish slaves. They said it would be just reserved for Gentile slaves. Right? But Jesus showed the example of such humility. Another thing, when he saw Zacchaeus, that man was the chief tax collector, worked for the Romans, he was hated by everyone, but Jesus saw him and he ate with him. Right? On the other hand, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane when he rebukes Peter, he says that he can call right now a legion, 12 legion of angels, an army of angels. Right? He had absolute sovereignty, but he chose surrender to his Father's will. Right? Such an amazing person, this beautiful person, such excellent qualities coming together in this one person of Jesus. Right? Why look to Jesus? He is the most beautiful, majestic person ever. Let's dive together on a passage in Revelation. It's a beautiful passage. Let's read together. It's in chapters four and uh, chapter uh, chapters four and five. Let's dive together on the wonder and, and ma majesty of God. So John sees this vision. He says, also in front of the throne. There was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And then end of chapter 5, this picture of worship is expanded to the whole creation. And it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Such an unbelievable scene, right? Of majesty, <coughs> splendor, beauty, this picture of worship, by all creation. That's interesting what intrigues me here in this passage is these four living creatures. Right? Can you imagine? Uh, they spend day and night worshipping God. You know, they never get tired of worshipping God. Right? It's really their existence is fulfilled in worshipping 
God. And the vision that John sees here is even incredible. Right? He is picturing the divine throne, right? the heart of all reality, the source of all things. And what do we find there at the heart? Worship. Right? This constant worship by these four living creatures really show, depict that at the heart, that the reality is God centered. And this, this vision is still expanded at the end of chapter 5 when all of creation joins those living creatures. Right? And it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them. Right? All creation comes and worships God. This picture is beautiful <coughs> because it shows the ultimate and end goal of God's purpose for creation, which is worship. Right? In other words, creation exists to worship God. And it's, it's beautiful to close this picture. What we see here is that God is at the center right, of the scene. Right? And that's what we are called. That we are called to put God at the center of our lives. And even more beautifully, God wants to be in the center of our lives. Just a small note, yesterday I was thinking, maybe a good question to ask, doesn't this make God narcissistic? You know? And maybe it will be good to talk about this another time. It's not good to talk about it. But let's be assured that as God is love, this His purpose for creation flows from a place of love. Now when we look to Jesus, we are sure that our lives will never be the same. Uh, he will do for us what no one else can do and what we cannot do for ourselves. Uh, it, is, it is beautiful. When we look to Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. We have freedom from bondage of sin. Uh, we grow into being more Christ-like. We grow, become people of character, of godliness. God leads our path. He makes our path straight. He leads us. And as I was thinking, actually we were talking about this a week ago, I, I have to say that in my worship of Jesus, I'm often tempted to worship Him for what He can do for me. Right? And I believe it is part of it. Right? We worship Him for how, what He does for us. Yes. Out of that gratitude. But I believe that there is something here that we have to we are called to worship Him for who He is. There's this parable in Matthew 13, I think that will, help, uh, that will help us think about it. It's this parable of the pearl of great value. Right? In Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and what it is like. And He says that it's like this merchant, merchant who, when he found this one pearl, he sold everything he had to go and buy that one pearl. Right? And from the text, 
we can glean that he didn't buy the pearl so that he can sell it and make a living off of it. Uh, he bought it because it was supremely beautiful and admirable. Uh, and I think that's, that's the same as well in our lives of worship. Let's encourage each other to come to Jesus for his beauty, for you as first. Now, many of us have been, I think many of us have been Christians for a while, and we know that there are seasons in life. I'm sure there are seasons where we have treasured Jesus more than anything else. And there are other seasons where uh, the, the struggles of life or the worries of life can blur uh, that vision. That we have. But let's be encouraged that Jesus constantly, Paul says in Romans, that he intercedes for us. Uh, God constantly pursues us. And I believe that when we set our hearts in that direction of looking with the eyes of our hearts to look to God, He sees that, He honors that, and He expands that thirst and hunger within us for Him. There's this beautiful um, verse in Chronicles where it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. In other words, let's be assured that when we look to God, that He'll look at, back at us with a smile. And let's remember that how Jesus describes Himself in Matthew. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. In other words, Jesus is the most approachable person that we will ever know. Let's finish with a, with a prayer it's from uh, Nicholas of Cusa, who was a German theologian and philosopher. Let's pray and finish. <laughs> when all my endeavor is turned toward you, because all your endeavor is turned toward me, when I look to you alone, with all my attention, not ever turn aside the eyes of my mind, because you have enfolded me with your constant regard. When I direct my love toward you alone, because you, who are love itself, has turned yourself toward me alone. And what, Lord, is my life? save that embrace wherein your delightsome sweetness so lovingly enfolds me.